0: Titus chapter 3, verses 9 through 11 is where we're going to be at. And so I'm going to read that, and then we'll pray, and then we'll get started. All right, so here we go. Verse 9 says, But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division... After warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. Father, we ask for your grace in helping us to see clearly today. Uh, God, help us to see clearly what what we ought to give our minds to and our hearts to and our time to and our attention to. Father, we, we pray that the gospel would be beautiful Uh, in our hearts, and that it would be constantly on our lips, um, that we would teach it and preach it and discuss it and memorize it. And Father, that it would bear good fruits in our lives. Father, help us to not be divided. Help us, God, not to quarrel or to um, get distracted from the things of the kingdom. Jesus, be be preeminent in our hearts and in our minds this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I want you to look back at verse eight. So back up just one verse there if you've got your Bibles open. So we looked at this verse last week and it says, verse eight says, this saying is trustworthy and I want you to insist on these things so that those who believe in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Okay, so Paul says this saying, okay, you need to insist on it and you need to believe it because it produces good works and it's excellent and profitable. What saying is he talking about? Okay, back up to the last two weeks. Um, verse four, he's talking about this saying, when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. All right, so Paul is saying, hey, this, this, this doctrinal, beautiful picture of the gospel that I just gave you you need to insist on this. You need to insist on it. You need to believe it. It produces good works in your life, and it is excellent and profitable for people. Okay, so what, what is Paul basically telling us? Uh, this was all last week, by the way. He's saying this, this these truths of the goodness of God and the loving kindness of God and the appearing of Jesus Christ, his incarnation, his coming, his, his life, his ministry, his death, his deeds, his resurrection, all right? salvation by grace and not by works, the mercy of God, the new birth, regeneration, the indwelling Holy Spirit, uh, that by the Holy Spirit we're made a new creation. He calls it here the renewal of the Holy Spirit, okay? Union to Jesus Christ. That great doctrine that we are joined to the resurrected Jesus Christ by faith. Justification. Justification is a word that means made righteous. The fact that we are made righteous by grace. The fact that we are a joint heir. That, that's in there, right? That we're an heir. That we, are, we will inherit all that Jesus inherits. That we're joined to him. And then the hope that that produces stretching into this this glorious anticipation of eternal life. Paul says you should insist on these things, all right? So these are the things you ought to insist on in your family. You ought to insist that, guys, we talk about justification by faith, that we talk about being heirs of Jesus Christ, that we talk about the hope of eternal life, that we talk about the mercy of God and the kindness of God and the goodness of God and the love. Why? Because these things promote faith and those who believe them They do good works, right? It changes them. It transforms their life. It produces good things in your life. So we should be people who talk about these things, discuss these things, memorize these things, teach them, preach them, pray through them in your small group, read books about them, defend them, organize them, articulate them, insist on these things because they produce love and mission and ministry and harmonious relationships and acts of kindness and compassion and good marriages and healthy families, all right? But there's a whole other category of stuff that Paul says to avoid. I know I'm not just talking about things out in the world. He's actually talking about things that get brought up and discussed and hashed out in the church, okay? So so he switches gears in verse 9, and he says, But avoid, okay, so there's certain things you're to avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, quarrels about the law, for they are, and notice there, unprofitable and worthless. Okay, and remember what he said in verse eight? He says, this saying, the one we just talked about, that that Jesus Christ appeared by the loving kindness of God and the goodness of God, and he saved us according to his grace and not by works, and he justified us through Jesus Christ through his atoning death, and we're heirs with him, and we have the indwelling Holy Spirit, and we're made new by the new birth. Okay, he said, that is excellent and profitable. Okay, But these other things, these foolish controversies, genealogies, dissension, quarrels about the law, they are unprofitable and worthless, and you should avoid them. You should not engage. You should not give them your time and attention. You should not get sucked into a bunch of arguments and a bunch of, uh, of dissensions and a bunch of divisions. Okay, so, so foolish controversies. And then he says, first of all, let, let's unpack a couple words here. Genealogies. Now, what's wrong with a genealogy? Because those are actually in in the Bible, right? If you open up the Gospel, to actually if you read through your Old Testament, there's all kinds of genealogies, right? Uh, because what are they doing? They're they're tracing they're tracing the promise through Abraham. Okay, and even way back further through Seth, but they're, they're, they're tracing the promise through Abraham all the way to Jesus, right? So they're getting us to Jesus. And, and actually, when you open up your New Testament, the first, book, first chapter of Matthew, you have the genealogy of Jesus from, from Joseph, Jesus' earthly father, all the way back through David, right, right? Because in 2 Samuel 7, it promises that the king would come through David's family and then all the way back to Abraham. And so you, you have these connecting pieces. So what's wrong with the genealogy? Well, there's nothing wrong with seeing the beauty of, of, of that, and of of jesus uh, Jesus' earthly lineage or of of ladies like Rahab and Ruth and Tamar and Bathsheba who who God brings in showing that, you know what? God is reaching out to the Gentiles. He's reaching out to the entire world and bringing them into the family of the Messiah that Jesus is for everybody. So those things are awesome. But evidently, what was happening uh, in, in Titus' church was there, there were some Jews who had become Christians and, and actually there's a name for these folks, Judaizers, and, and they were actually tacking things on to the gospel. So they they were saying, well, man, that gospel is great. Okay, you're saved through, through Jesus, through faith and everything. But, you know, you're not real spiritual unless. By the way, do you have a lineage? Do you have you traced your lineage back? You know, have, have you looked at your genealogy? Are you traced back to anybody important? I'm traced back to this guy, and, and here's this this promise that's in Jewish legend about this and that. And, and, and oh, by the way, the you not only need the gospel, but if you're going to be really spiritual, you got to eat these kind of foods. If you're going to be really spiritual, you got to observe these traditions. If you got, in other words, it was a Jesus plus gospel. Okay. They were tacking things on. So they were like, oh, yeah, the gospel is fine, but we're not going to focus on that. We're going to focus on, if you're real spiritual, if you, if you really want to be in the club, if you really want to be in the spiritual group, we're going to talk about all these secret, hidden things. All right? And Paul, Paul is like, man, you've got to avoid that. Those things are unprofitable, and they're worthless. Next word there, dissensions and quarrels about the law. Okay, so things that just divide needlessly, uh, things that just people argue about, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Okay, I I had a couple choices on this passage. Choice number one, a skip it. Okay, that was the easy one. Thought a lot about it. Um, okay, choice B um, was basically to try to create this. This was the the. The, the most profitable thing I could think to do with this passage, try to create a, a grid for us to think through what is a foolish controversy, okay? Uh, what we don't want to do this morning is just say, okay, here's the things that I think are foolish controversies, okay? Uh, first of all, that just probably make everybody mad and uh, be maybe unprofitable from the standpoint of, I don't think that gives you a, a grid to actually discern for yourself what's worth my time, what's worth... My effort? What's worth my energy? So, what, what I'd like to do is try to answer the, a couple questions. The first question is How do we know when a topic, an issue is a foolish controversy? How do we know when it is fruitless and foolish to give our time to? Okay? So, that's the first question we're answering. All right? Here would be the grid I would have you walk through. Okay? Number one, number one, what does it produce? Okay? So, what does talking about it, uh, studying it, uh, hashing it out, taking aside, what does that produce in your life? Because Paul is incredibly strong, especially in the book of Titus, that knowledge of God produces godliness all right so remember way back in in, in verse 1 and 2 when he's given his own testimony paul is servant of god and the apostle of jesus christ for the sake of the faith of god's elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness all right so he's going back to that over and over again now th- there is a knowledge of the truth that produces a godly life all right So so knowledge here, by the way, uh, in in the scriptures, is not just recalling of facts. It's actually like an interaction with the truth, okay? It's a kind of knowing something where where you know something personally. You interact with the truth with, with, with which you know, and it shapes your life. All right, so when you preach the gospel when you focus on the person of Jesus and the grace of God and the hope of glory and the love of the Father and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit people's lives are changed let me let me give you a great example I think of this all right um, scarcely have I ever preached a sermon on the forgiveness of God so so hardly ever have I have I hit hit hard the forgiveness of God like like just preach Hard. Here's what God has done. He has taken you, you who owe him a billion sins, okay? Like you you have this debt racked up that that you can't pay. You can't you can't bring righteousness for all the sins that you've committed. All right. And yet God comes in in his son Jesus and he pays the penalty for you. He wipes it clean. He takes it upon himself and he completely forgives you. Okay, hardly ever have I preached a sermon on that. When people didn't respond by actually forgiving their neighbor, like somebody. Like, 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 I can't hardly think of a time where afterwards somebody was like, man, that is all over me. I just know I've been holding the grudge against so and so. And man, if God forgives me this way, I, I gotta forgive. I've gotta forgive somebody else. Okay, so, so if that is true, then, then we would say here, then we would say this the doctrine of the forgiveness of God is a fruitful doctrine, right? the more you give yourself to it, the more you embrace how God in his grace has reached out and forgiven you completely because of his son Jesus, the more you're moved to forgive, all right? But there are other things, okay, where where people hash out and they devour and they talk about and they debate and they proclaim and what does it produce in their life? Well, nothing, strife. Like a lot of times, it's just well, man. I, I think that guy over there is stupid because he believes something different than me about this. Like literally, that—that's all it produces. There was a whole bunch of talking, there's a whole bunch of arguing, and there's a whole bunch of opinions, and and, and nobody loved Jesus more, no, no, because of it. No, nobody loved, loved loved their neighbor more because of it. Nobody's life was made holy because of it. It it didn't produce anything. 1 Timothy chapter six, verse three says, if anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he's puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy. So first, first kind of grid we're putting up is, is, is this thing that I'm giving a bunch of time and attention to, does it actually produce good fruit? Okay, number two. Number two, does it produce needless conflict, strife, division? Okay, does it produce needless conflict, strife, and division? Now, the the really important word there is needless, okay? All right, now here's what we know from the scriptures. I was reading with a group of guys this week. I was reading through John 17, and one of the things that we, we, we brought out was in John 17, it is a huge deal to Jesus that we be one. He, he says that several times. He says that, I think, in verse 11. He says that in verse 22. He says, you know, Father, you, you and I are one, that, uh, you know, that they may also be one. So, so unity is a big deal. Now, what exactly do we mean by unity? Let, let, me, let me give you what I mean by unity, okay? There's, there's three parts to it, okay? Number one, having the same love and care for one another, all right? Number two, having a united focus on the gospel. And number three, having a united partnership in the mission of God. All right, so first of all, having the same love and care for one another. Let, 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 me, let me show you some verses that are really interesting. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is talking about uh, spiritual gifts, which, by the way, can be a big source of controversy. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, um, in, in verse 25 and 26, listen to this that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. One of the ways that we should see unity in the body of Christ, unity at Lincoln Avenue, is that we care for each other. Like all, we, we care for each other. If one member hurts, we all hurt and we all respond with prayer and ministry and practical deeds. If one member rejoices, we all rejoice. That, 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 is, that is God's design for the body of Christ is that we have the same care for one another, all right. Number two, that we have a united focus on the gospel, so so that we are together focused and intent upon verses four through seven in in Titus, right? That that God our Savior appeared and He saved us not based on works, but based on on grace and the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, right? And the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and being made new. That we have this united focus on the gospel that produces a united partnership. Okay, that means we're working together in the mission of God. Now, let me show you this. The, those last two are in Philippians. Okay, Philippians 1.27 says, "Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel." Okay, now jump down, same same book, Philippians chapter two to chapter two. Let me read verses one through five. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection or sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love. You see what having the same mind means? It means having the same love, being in full accord and in one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition. Hey, does anybody remember this verse? Is this does this strike a, a, a chord in anybody? Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests but also the interests of others. Have this mind in yourselves, which was yours in Christ Jesus. So there is this this picture of unity in which we are striving together, side by side. Okay, we're, we're side by side in the gospel. We're working toward the gospel. We're loving each other well. We're partnered together in this one gospel. There there is your picture of a biblical unity that's what it means to be united and, and so it's very important that nothing needlessly hinder our togetherness in loving each other in the gospel and in the mission now, notice i said needlessly divide right why do i say needlessly because there's sometimes when we have to divide right sometimes when we have to divide for the sake of the gospel right so let me give you a, let me give you an example all right let's say that that say that uh, um, Pastor Andrew comes to work tomorrow and he says, you know what, I've been thinking and uh, I've just changed my mind and I I don't think that... Uh, Jesus is the only way anymore. You know, I, I I'm kind of thinking that you know what you can get to heaven through Muhammad and through obeying the commands of the Quran. And I think if you are a really good sufferer and you just take it like a champ, that you can get to heaven through Buddhism. And uh, I think that uh, universalism, it's good too. Just don't do anything, and let's we're all going to go to heaven. And just 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 don't do anything, and and and, and everybody goes to heaven. All dogs go to heaven. You know, th- there we go. Everybody's in heaven, and that's what I believe. Okay. Andrew, we have a big problem, okay? We, first of all, you need to, we're going to warn you, and you need to repent, and we're going to go to the Scriptures together. We're going to take all day and all night and all day tomorrow and all night and as long as it takes for you to repent. And if he continues to say, no, I will not repent, then we basically say, Andrew, we can't be together with you anymore. Like, like we we don't have fellowship with you anymore. We can't be together in the gospel anymore. You, you can't be a pastor here anymore. You can't lead the youth anymore. You can't take people on mission trips anymore. You know why? Because you're gonna hurt, you're gonna hurt the ministry of the gospel. Like, like we we can't be together with you for your own sake. And you know, we can't tell you, hey Andrew, everything's well. You know, you're you're fine. No, we can't do that because you're not fine. You're going to perish under the eternal weight of the wrath of God. You're inches away from the judgment of God for rejecting truth and rejecting Jesus as your Savior and rejecting your creator, and you're in rebellion against God, and that's going to lead you to hell. We must be divided for Christ's sake, right? So there's times where we must be divided. All right, but let's let's go back to Titus, all right? All this stuff about... Foolish controversies and uh, genealogies and dissensions. Of course, about we we don't need to give ourselves to. I, th- I would say there's a category of stuff that just is needless division. All right. Now here's where I'm probably going to get in trouble. I-, I thought real hard about like there's a lot of examples I could give, but I'm trying to pick one that everybody can be like, oh yeah, I see that. Instead of oh, I can't believe he said that. You know. Um, okay, so. The one I picked is one from the 90s and the early 2000s, and I think it's kind of faded off the scene, and so I'm hoping like nobody's still all sore about it, okay? Um, but it is, it is there, in the 90s and 2000s, there were a bunch of churches that literally derailed. Like, like the gospel stopped being proclaimed in their community because they derailed over expressions of worship, right? Now, lots of people worship in different ways, okay? Um, you, you, we just watched a video. How, how does the Indian church worship? They got lots of percussion, right? Everybody's clapping. Like you got, you make the music. You're not clapping. You're not in there, right? And it makes me want to stomp, right? And, just, and then the ladies come in and they do the little harmony thing. And the, you know, I, I don't know how they figure all that out, but man, that, that's the way they do it. All right? And sometimes they'll get up and dance and sometimes they'll twirl and sometimes the gals will get in a circle. And just, right? That's the way I do it, okay? In America, you, 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 got, you got the same thing. You've got different people that worship in different ways. So some of you are very much like me, your hands in pockets people, you know, or maybe folded reverently and you're organ loving, you know, and, and the song's not reverent enough unless it's 200 years old. Uh, it's kind of like my daughter's church and, and it's bound in a hymnal and it's both poetic and the theological masterpiece and others of you, You're on the other side. You're you're hand-waving, drum-loving, electric guitar, solo-cherishing. You know, it's got to be on a screen or you can't read a book, you know, and you like to repeat the same phrase 11 times, and your favorite Bible story is when David danced in the skivvies, all right? So that's you, right? And then there's a bunch of people in the middle, Right, there's a bunch of people in the middle and they're 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 not they're not one extreme or the other. They're kind of hands in a box, right? Like you got a box and you can do anything with your hands here, you know, and yeah, it's just gotta be in the box, you know, and you know, what whatever you do is okay as long as it's not too much. And then every once in a while when something is really, you know, this powerful resurrection passage, you might give a woo, you know, right up like just real quick, you know. Um you know, guitar solos are too much because, like, what do you do? Like, I don't know what to do either. Like, when they get a long guitar solo deal, I'm like, what? what are we supposed to be doing here? You know, I-, I don't know what to do there. And so you're kind of in the middle. You know what we don't need? We don't need a bunch of people talking about that and dividing over it. We just don't need that. We don't need to argue over it. We, we don't we don't need to meet in groups during the meek and recruit people to our side and-, and and try to get all those folks in the middle to come to our point of view and hear our arguments and this way it ought to be this way. We, we just don't need to, we don't need to get mad about it. We don't need to. Uh, the next step to getting mad is you start villainizing people. You know, you start saying things like, well, not only do they like drums and a guitar, but their kids are unruly, you know? <laughs> or not only do they, not only are they, they like that stuffy old music, but they don't ever share the gospel. You know, which most of that stuff is not true. And pretty soon you stop caring for each other, right? You know what happens next? You stop caring for each other well, pretty soon nobody's thinking about the gospel or the mission of the church, and you have this foolish controversy that people are quibbling over. We don't need that I don't know about you guys, but I'm trying to gospel my kids and i'm trying to I'm striving to be holy like Jesus in my relationships I'm trying to love my wife as Christ loved the church and I'm trying to win my neighbor to Christ and plant churches in India. people are dying to go into hell we we don't need to Make a deal over, you know, do you stay in the box or can you get out, you know? I mean, I think we need to not be stupid. Like, don't, don't, don't distract other people, you know? Don't, don't be smacking on folks because you're so zealous in your worship, you know? And on the other hand, don't be one of those people that stands in the corner with their, their you know, arms crossed and is like this, you know? Yeah, yeah, Unless you're just that way in the rest of your life, you know? I guess maybe. You know, I'm always amazed at the people that you go to the soccer game And like, man, like if all you've ever seen them is at church and you go to the soccer game and they're one of the people that they're like running down the side, like, like wherever their kid's at, they're running with them like, come on, come on, on!" you know, and then the kid scores a goal and they're like, you know, and then they come to church and they're like this, you know, okay, there's something wrong with that. Like, like you, you, like I don't respect that, you know, if that's the way you are in the rest of your life, you probably ought to be a little zealous at church, you know. Or on the other way, you know, if you're one of these folks or Bobby doing whatever moves she talked about, you know, and then you go to the soccer game and, you you know, you're like this. Well, what, what's wrong? Are you mad at your kid? Like like. Uh, yeah. Anyway, we don't have time for that stuff. We can't afford to be divided over things we don't need to be divided over. Number three, how do you know if something's a foolish controversy? Is it based on speculation or is it based on truth? Okay, so... Um, turn your Bibles to First Timothy. Uh, I want to show you that this is a lot of places in the Bible. So First Timothy chapter one verse four says, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship that is from God. So here's the reality, my friends, the Bible is full of certainties, okay? Like, like absolute certainties. like, more real than than this wood is, okay? The Bible is full of those. The, The resurrection of Jesus Christ is more certain than the sun coming up every day, okay? The atoning death of Jesus, the love of God, the misery of sin, the ultimate victory of Jesus in his return, they are not speculation. We are not guessing. They are absolute certainties, now, there's a whole bunch of other stuff that's just people speculate. I was, I was watching. I, this has been quite a while ago, but it sticks in my mind. I, I, I happened to be flipping through the channels one day, and I came upon a, a, a ministry kind of show. And I would say preaching, but the guy really wasn't preaching. But he's standing in this valley in Israel, and, and, he, and he basically takes one word, I think it was one word, this one obscure word from like Isaiah or Ezekiel, I don't remember what it was, and, 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 he, and, he, and he combines that with like the fruitfulness of the soil here and the amount of rain that comes, and, and basically he says, this is going to be where all the food's going to be grown for the Israelites who, who go through the tribulation. And, and so he says, we need to start buying land here today. And I'm like, you got all that from one word out of Ezekiel? And He did. You know, and, and and then came the little deal across the screen. Sin you now nineteen ninety five, and you can have a little part of this land. You know, it's okay to have opinions on things. Absolutely, it's that's fine, but we can't afford to spend our efforts and a bunch of time on obscure trivialities that are simply speculations. And we certainly can't afford to be divided over things that are simply speculations. Number four, this is a good one. Ask yourself, does this really matter? Does this really matter? Okay, so so here, here's something that I, I need you to understand. Not everything matters on the same level. Does that make sense? So um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it's an interesting passage. Listen to what Paul says. He says, uh, beginning in verse 1, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand, by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you unless you believed in vain. Verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he has appeared to Cephas and then the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at the one time, most of most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Okay, now do you notice what Paul said? I, I've, I've delivered to you at that which is of first importance. In other words... This is the big rocks, okay? So, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection should have the spotlight. We should emphasize these truths. They should get the lion's share of our attention. Because, as Paul would later go on to prove in 1 Corinthians 15, if there is no resurrection, then literally nothing matters. Okay? So, like, that's how much the resurrection of Jesus matters. If, if If there isn't one, nothing matters. If there is no resurrection, why are you here? Okay? Why, why are you trying to be a good person? Why, why are you trying to raise a good family? Why, 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 why do you go to work? Like like literally, if there is no resurrection, if Christ is not raised from the dead if there's no resurrection, that means you have no hope of resurrection, that means you're gonna die very soon, and when you do, nothing will matter, absolutely nothing you did, nothing you said, nothing you not nothing, none of it will matter you will either. Worst case scenario, like depending on what you believe, you believe there's no resurrection, you'll be under the judgment of God and in eternal hell forever, or there's just simply nothing. But either way, none of this matters. You will die, it will go away, and none of it will matter. Here's what Paul goes on to say in, uh, in verse 32 of that same chapter. He says, uh, what, what, what do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let's eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Like, literally, if there's no resurrection, then let's go get us a Dairy Queen blizzard, you know? Because they're good, and let's get a little bit of pleasure, because tomorrow we die, and that's it. Like, like literally, why, why try to be healthy if, if, you know, I mean, you're gone. It's over. Nothing, nothing matters. Now, on the other hand, Paul is going to go on to say in 1 Corinthians 15, if there is a resurrection, and I'm telling you it's a certainty that there is, and that we can be joined to Jesus Christ in his resurrection life, now everything matters to the nth degree. Listen, listen to 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight. Therefore, my, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. You see, if there's a resurrection, what I'm doing right now matters. It, it matters, like me telling you about Jesus matters. It, it could affect your eternity. It will affect your eternity. It'll either be to your judgment or to your glory, whichever way you respond. But it will matter. Every gospel truth you ever tell your child will matter for an eternity. Every discipline you do will matter. Every every wise counsel you give it will matter. It will always matter. It will never stop mattering. In fact, there will come a day where it will matter even more than it does today. Like everything all of a sudden has meaning. The way that you work, how you go to work, whether you're on time, all of that infinitely matters because there's a resurrection by which we will be judged and rewarded for all eternity. Okay, so you see what I'm saying? There are some things that really matter and there are other things that really don't. So so if you find yourself discussing an issue and, and you ask this question, okay, does it matter? And I, I've I've had people ask me stuff before and I'm like, okay, what, what if I say yes? What then? And they're like, Well, I don't know. I guess we we know this, you know? I'm like, okay, what if I say no? And they're like, Well, I guess it's the same, you know. Then I'm like, okay, you pick then. <laughs> you know, I mean, what does it matter? Like, like there's a lot of things that people speculate on and then even worse, make divisions with. Like, well, man, if you're not in this group, you don't believe this. Well, like, what does it matter? And so ask yourself, does it matter? Does it, does it, does it, does it matter in how I live? Does it matter? Does it make me love Jesus more? Does it make me love God more? Does it change anything? You, you know, imagine if, imagine if, Companies fell into a practice of giving their themselves to things that don't really matter, or that well, let's let's rephrase it: things that only matter a little bit. So let's picture a drilling company. Picture a drilling company that says, "You know what? We're not going to hire a petroleum engineer. Uh, Instead, we're going to hire a couple marketing executives, and we're going to have the best stationery in the oil patch." You know, I mean, like our stationery is gonna pop, you know, and we're gonna change it every day, you know, and and man, it's gonna be fancy, and every bill that we send out, people I mean, are gonna look at it. It's gonna be in three D, you know, and and you know, now we can't strike oil, but man, our stationery is incredible. Imagine a burger joint, you know, they they they're short staffed in the kitchen, and they don't hire more cooks, and it takes them around an hour to get your hamburger out. But they hired two of the best window washers ever, you know. And I'm, I mean, when you walk in there, you, you'd bump, you'd be like a bird. They, they kill 100 birds a, a year because their windows are so, they, you can't tell them. I mean, they're just clean. You could eat off of them and be, and be fine. They're, they're that clean. But they can't make hamburgers. Imagine a church that never mentions the atoning death of Jesus or the resurrection but, man, they've got the best softball team in the city, you know? And they've got the best church league basketball team. Okay, do you see what I'm saying? Like, like we, we, need to, we need to give ourselves to the things that matter most. And that, that's why Paul says to Titus, this young pastor, man, avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, quarrels, okay? Number five, how do you know if it's a foolish controversy? Are you arguing about an open-handed issue or a closed-handed issue? And I, I'm just I open-handed, closed-handed. I think Driscoll was a guy that used. That. I don't know if he used it first. I, there's another. I just can't think of it. There's another term for those issues, and I, for the life of me, cannot remember it. Uh, but anyway, what, what we mean by that is there there are some things that are, are closed-handed issues. Okay, and, in other words, you, there, there's really not an option to think differently about it. Okay, let me give you some examples of that: the divinity of Jesus Christ, right? So if you're here this morning and you don't believe Jesus is God, we're not on the same page. Like, we can't be like, oh, that's okay. Come come, come teach Sunday school, you know? You believe a lot of other things. No, man, we can't. Like, like that's not okay. Um, salvation by grace through faith, that's a close-handed issue. The atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross, the resurrection, the trinity, the eternality of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Man, we, there is no wiggle room on those. Okay, other issues are what we would call open-ended issues. And, and what you believe about them, while it might be have some importance, it's, it's not something that we're gonna split fellowship over. Okay, your, your Sabbath practices. Some people have a very strict rule of the Sabbath. You know, I uh, know folks that, um, man, they, they have a very strict thing of what they're gonna do on Sunday. Okay, well, Paul says in Colossians, don't judge people about that. Like, okay, you have that conviction, that's awesome for you. But I have a different conviction. Okay, so we, we shouldn't judge each other, right? We should recognize that there is a definite Sabbath principle in the Bible. We should recognize that God has said, hey, six days I worked, seven days I rested, you ought to do that. All right. We, but, but we're not going to say, this is what that means for you. Here's what you're going to do at seven o'clock, and eight o'clock, and nine o'clock, and 10 o'clock, and 11 o'clock. And you're not going to do this, you're not going to do this, and you're not going to go fishing, and you're not going to, you know, you're not going to go out to eat, and you're not going to, okay, we're, 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 whoa, we're not going to argue about that stuff. Like that, that's not productive. That's just divisive. All right, um, what you believe about the consumption of alcohol. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, and whether moderation or whether a teetotaler, uh, your views on divorce and remarriage, uh, how, what you, how you believe a church should be led and governed. You know, uh, a lot of us have different opinions about that. I, I don't know that there is a closed-handedness to that. What you believe about the death penalty or a just war, or pacifism, okay? Those are things that, obviously, it's good to look at the scriptures. It's good to have an opinion on them. You ought to have a conviction on them, but we don't need to divide over open-handed issues, all right? So that's my grid, all right? That's my grid on how do you know whether something's a foolish controversy? Now, next question that we don't have much time for, I'm looking at, sorry about that. Um, Why, this was the other question I wanted to answer, why do some folks get drawn into and feed off of foolish controversy? I've known Christians, it seems like they're, they're, I mean, they're attracted to this stuff like a moth is to the flame, all right? Now, why is that? Let me give you three reasons, okay? Number one, pride, okay? Pride. Now, why do I say that? Well, because the Bible says that. Um, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse three and four. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the, the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicion, constant friction. Okay, what what did it say? The root of it is pride. You know, there's something really appealing to some people about, I know something that nobody else does. I I figured out something that y'all didn't. Like I've got this secret knowledge. There's something even appealing to denominations about we're the only ones. Hey, have you have you noticed how many denominations have a we're-the-only-one category? So, so like, I, I know of one um, that, that only accepts one one version of the Bible. Like, one version of the Bible. This is or actually a really popular one in America. You know, like, one version of the Bible. If you don't read this version of the Bible, you know, because it's the one that Jesus... Oh, wait, it's not the one that Jesus had. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Anyway, I'm... Sorry, little mockery there. Uh, if you don't have this version of the Bible, then you're out, you know, and we're the only ones that have the truth. I mean, that, that's appealing to people, isn't it? Why? We're the only ones, you know? Like, sure, our church might be struggling a little bit, but we're the only ones. You are going to hell because you're reading out of the ESV, you know, or whatever it is, okay? And, and so there's a pride element there of kind of wanting to be the expert, You know how opposite that is with the gospel? Like, with the gospel, we want you to know everything we know, right? Like, I I want you to know everything about the gospel. I I, I don't want to be an expert compared to you. I want you to know everything about what Jesus has done for you, and I'm going to tell it to you every time I can. Number two, why why do people get sucked into this stuff? Avoid. Sometimes I think people get sucked into it because they're avoiding the real issues of their sin, obedience, mission, and faith. You know what happens when you start really diving into the big stuff of the Bible? You've got to respond. You either gotta be you've either gotta obey or you're in sin. Right? If you're always Uber interested in the obscure details or practices or hidden interpretations, It could be that you're simply not interested in dealing with your own greed. You're not interested in loving the widow and the orphan. You're not interested in sharing the gospel with your neighbor or giving to the work of the kingdom or forgiving your enemy. Like you don't actually want to obey. And so one of the ways that people don't obey is by focusing on all this stuff that actually, whether you believe it or not, doesn't matter. Like there is no action. You just know stuff and you're better than other people because you know it. My friend's... There's often a desire to appear religious among people who are not that interested in Jesus. Number three. Number one, pride. Number two, avoiding the real issues of sin, obedience, mission, and faith. And then number three, what I would call a party spirit. So um, there's something that people are drawn to. um, Drama. You, you, You didn't realize that, did you? You don't have social media, so you wouldn't know that, okay? People like people, there's something in people that that they like a controversy. Like they almost feel alive when there's something to like argue about and there's something to, to be on a side about. In 1 Corinthians 1, there was this weird thing happening in the church in Corinth. Let me read it to you. Verse 11 says, it's been reported to me by Chloe's people that there's quarreling among you. My brother's what I mean is that each of you says, well, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? In other words, in the church at Corinth, there were there these parties that actually developed, You know, and people were like, well, I'm, I'm part of this, I'm part of this, I'm part of this. And it was simply based on, on foolish controversy. I think a lot of times people are bored, actually, and, and they're not obeying the scriptures, which is really exciting. And so there's this need to grab on other things all right, so in summary, I think the rule for foolish controversies is avoid them. Don't Don't waste your time, minimize your interaction. Don't put those people up in leadership, minimize exposure. Okay, I think the rule for the issues of heresy, okay now again, what's the difference between heresy and, and what I would call just a foolish controversy? Uh, in heresy, there is a clear scriptural truth being denied or departed from. In other words, there, there's a lot at stake. The gospel is being distorted. The, the gospel is wrongly taught or preached. People are perishing because they don't know the gospel, okay? Then you must separate. And, and Paul outlines that as in Jesus does in Matthew. You know, go to the person, you know, warn them, you know, bring some other people with you. If at some point, just like I, the situation with Andrew that I described, by the way, Andrew believes the gospel. That was just a illustration, okay? Um, some point there's gotta be a separation, okay? With foolish. With foolish controversies, I, I think I think it's you avoid it because Satan's tool is distraction. He does not want you to focus on the thing that would transform your life. Lincoln, let's love the gospel. Let's love the gospel. Let's realize the incredible power that is in the gospel. Paul Paul says to to Titus, man, you you talk about these things, these gospel things, because they are excellent and they are profitable for all men. Believe that. They are. They'll change your life. Let's pray. Father, help us to be focused on the things that we ought to be focused on. Father, help us to give ourselves in, in great zeal and in great energy and in great diligence to the work of the gospel, to the proclaiming of, of salvation by grace through faith, um, through, the, through the proclaiming of your glory and your character and your might and your majesty, to, to the proclaiming of the indwelling Holy Spirit and the new birth and the new creation and the changed lives and obedience to your word. God, help us to give our th- ourselves wholly to those things. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.